0: Well, this morning as we continue our series on the Holy Spirit, and after today, just two more parts to it, but we can't have a series on the Holy Spirit without talking about the elephant in the room, and that is some of the strange or weird gifts that the scriptures talk about, things that we're not quite sure what to do with because they're they're kind of outside the bounds of what seems normal. And several years ago, I kind of came to my own uh, crisis, if you will, regarding some of these stranger gifts and the working of the Holy Spirit in general. And I sat down with uh, Joseph Horvay, who he and his wife were here uh, a couple years ago to share with us. And I knew that he is a man who takes seriously the Holy Spirit and he takes seriously the Word of God. And Asked if he would just mentor me for a year and help me develop my understanding of the Holy Spirit and his first assignment to me was go through the Bible cover to cover and make note of every time the Holy Spirit Spirit is referenced and let that be our starting point let's begin our discussion there rather than what this person says or that person says or this abuse or this abuse let's just start with Scripture and build our understanding from there Seems like something I should have thought of myself, but I needed some outside help for me to do that. And it was uh, a very life-changing experience, and it was out of that that uh, initially developed this series on the Holy Spirit. So let's dive into the stranger gifts, and we're going to give most of our time to one of those gifts in particular. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10 The first one where it says there are the utterance or the speaking forth of knowledge. Now, this isn't simply the gift of you're really smart and you can spew that smartness out to others. Literally, it means to perceive or to understand something. And again, this is a spiritual gift. So it's something that you could not do without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But because of the Holy Spirit, you have an ability to perceive or understand things that you shouldn't normally perceive or understand. John chapter 4 verses 16 through 18 it says Jesus said to her go call your husband and come here and the woman answered him I have no husband Jesus said to her you are right in saying I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband Uh, we easily dismiss everything Jesus does and saying well he's Jesus of course but we in doing so we tend to diminish the fact that not only is he fully god but he's also fully man living empowered by the holy spirit how does jesus know the backstory of this woman it's revealed to him by the holy spirit yes he's jesus he's god in flesh knows all things but he restrains some of those abilities when he took on flesh and he knows that she has had five husbands and the guy she's with now, she's not married to. And if you, if you read the story, you find that she doesn't walk away from this creeped out. She doesn't walk away from this like, oh, he knows all my dirty secrets. She walks away excited. She walks away amazed that he knows all of this about her. Jesus was given this information so that he can minister in love to this woman. Now, there's a different example in Acts chapter 5 of Ananias and Sapphira who were lying to the church about how much money they were giving to the church, and they're confronted about it, and as a result, they drop dead. And Peter, just given this information, that they weren't being straightforward. But typically, this utterance of knowledge, this spiritual gift of perceiving or understanding things that you shouldn't normally be perceiving or understanding is typically in the context of ministering to somebody encouraging somebody or helping somebody i know i don't think that this is a primary gift of mine but it's something that god does do in me on occasion four years ago uh then crestmont alliance church was host uh they brought in the college of prayer with fred hartley that we have done on wednesday nights and Uh, We actually met down at Wildwood Chapel, and at one point, Fred Hartley an Alliance Pastor asked us to partner up with somebody and just pray for each other. You know, don't say, how can I pray for you? Just start praying and let the Holy Spirit guide you. And so I partnered with this one younger guy that I'd never met before, knew nothing about him, and I was like, okay, God, just what? And I, I just got this image in my mind of the sun beginning to peer through clouds, and I kind of had that moment of, Lord, that's really cheesy and vague. I'm not praying that. He's like, pray it. And so I just prayed it. I just said, Lord, I just, as I pray for my brother, I just see the sun piercing through clouds as they begin to part. And as soon as I said it, he fell on his knees and began to weep. I knew nothing about him. I don't even know what that meant. But for him, it meant something very profound. It's nothing that I knew because oh, I I read his face and I could tell that somehow clouds parting and sun piercing through, that's really going to hit him hard. It was something that God just showed me. I thought it was stupid. God knew better. And it impacted his life. And you may find in your own life these moments where when you're praying for somebody, maybe you get a word or an image or something comes to you as you're praying for somebody. Now, the people I know who are most active in the gift of, of uh, a word of knowledge, they're, they're not the ones who say, God told me this is true about you. Fess up. What they typically do, and people have done with me, is, you know, I, I'm getting this. I'm getting this word or this image. Does that mean anything to you? Several years ago, uh, a, a dear brother in Christ was praying for me and said, you know, Paul, I'm just getting this image of chains breaking. Does that mean anything to you? He's like, yeah, very much so. Are we sensitive to those moments when the Holy Spirit might want to say, I want you to pray for something for this person. You don't know what it is in reference to. There's no reason you should know this. You may not even be given all the information, but you're given just enough to minister more effectively to a particular person. That's what the utterance of knowledge or a word of knowledge looks like in practice. But it also goes on to list gifts of healing or the working of miracles. And literally, it's the affecting of power. This is ramping up the weirdness factor because we don't always know what to do with it. But the reality is, if you read through the four Gospels, you quickly come to the conclusion, Jesus did some weird stuff. And then you say, well, that was just Jesus. But then you go to the book of Acts, and you read through the book of Acts, and you say, wow, they did some weird stuff. And then we're left with this question of, does God still do weird stuff? And as we look through church history, we see other weird stuff happening. If you look at some of the earliest days of the Christian Missionary Alliance, and there's a book called Genuine Gold that highlights all of these things, our denomination started with weird stuff. Healings. Miracles. If you watch General Counsel at all, there was a healing service where somebody who was there in a wheelchair got out of the wheelchair and began to hop around the auditorium. Somebody with crutches laid down their crutches and no longer needed them. It's kind of weird. But that's the stuff that God often does. And typically what we do is we see some of the stuff on TV and we say, "That's man, that is just, there's so much corruption there. And our tendency is everything that looks like that must be corrupt. Rather than, okay, here's a corruption. And rather than, running to this extreme let's say okay lord what is it that you actually do and there are stories in the history of this church and there are stories in people sitting in this room right now who can testify that god still does miracles god still does healings that make no sense if you remove god from the equation and god has especially gifted some and he's called us still to do this james chapter 5 tells us if you're sick, call the elders of the church, call the spirits and mature in the church to lay hands on you and pray for you. The Bible still gives us instructions to ask. But then we fall into this category of, but it seems like sometimes God says no. I haven't fully resolved that because when I look at the Gospels, Jesus never said no. But in practice, I could say, Lord, I've prayed for a lot of people who weren't healed. I don't know how to resolve that. All I know is the Bible tells us to ask for it. And there's some who have a special gift when it comes to that. So let's keep on asking. The third one is prophecy. Prophecy is a discourse emanating from divine inspiration. It's declaring the purposes of God. Now, again, this isn't capital P prophet like Isaiah and Jeremiah. This is somebody who's given a word from God and declares it. Acts chapter 20, verses 22 to 23, it says, And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. It's kind of the negative side of prophecy where Paul's given a word from God that you're going to go to Jerusalem and it's going to be miserable. (laughs) Thanks, God. But he's given this information in advance directly from God that this is what's going to happen. And the same information is given to others in the church who then say, well, Paul, maybe you shouldn't go if this is what's going to happen to you. But Paul is determined this is God's will. And there's a lot of people now who would still say, you know, God says, wants me to tell you this, or God said this. And I would just say 1 John 4.1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Test it. With any spiritual gift, just test it and, and see if it's true, see if it's accurate, see if it's from God, because sometimes somebody could say, Thus saith the Lord, when it's just, Thus saith me. I've shared before about a woman when Julie and I were getting married, and she said, The Lord told me that a year from now you guys are going to have your first child. That never happened. She was never pregnant, never had a miscarriage. She just missed the boat on that one. Test it. I also know that there were some people before I came here who gave me the same exact word from God in relation to coming here. There were about five people, each one of which had no connection to the other other than they all knew me, all said, I feel like God is saying this. All five of them gave me the exact same wording. kind of think maybe that was something from God. It's prophecy. Someone given a word from God to give to someone else. It doesn't mean that God's voice was booming in their bedroom, but it's typically something implanted on their hearts that they know is from God. So with those aside, let's dive into the weirdest and strangest of the list, the gift of tongues various kinds of tongues mark chapter 16 verses 17 and 18 notice what jesus says and these signs will accompany those who believe in my name they will cast out demons they will speak in new tongues they will pick up serpents with their hands and if they drink any deadly poison it will not hurt them they will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover Now, let me just address the picking up of serpents. You say, well, how come we don't do that? Well, if you look at the book of Acts, there's a time where Paul is on an island and a snake jumps out and bites him and he shakes it off and no ill effect came to him. In the midst of Paul living out the Great Commission, God protected him. This, this isn't Jesus saying, hey, everybody, every time you meet for church, have a snake with you and just pass it around and, and just enjoy the snake not biting you. That's not what Jesus is indicating. He's basically saying that as you go forth in my name, there will be supernatural protection as you go forth in my name. But one of the things he lists in there is they will speak in new tongues. The Greek word is kinos, It means new or unused, unheard of, uncommon, or a new kind of tongue. And then we jump to Acts chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. When on the day of Pentecost, it says, And divided tongues as the fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, notice what happens after this in Acts chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. The response of the crowd, as they, all these believers now have the Holy Spirit, they're speaking in tongues, notice how the crowd responds. They say, And how is it that we hear, each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia? Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya beyond the Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? A lot of times, in order to normalize tongues, we say God gives an ability to his people to speak in languages they never learned so that they can preach the gospel. I'm not discounting that, but we often get that from this passage. But look what's happening in this passage. The day of Pentecost has come, and those who are filled start speaking in tongues, and people hear it in their own native tongue. But notice what they say is being proclaimed. They're hearing people proclaim the mighty works of God. It doesn't say they're preaching the gospel. It says they're proclaiming the mighty works of God, the great things that God has done. But the word amazed there means that they're perplexed. They're at a complete loss as to what's going on. Which clues us in that something weird is happening. Because if I went to downtown Pittsburgh and heard a bunch of foreigners speaking English, I'm not going to say, what in the world did I just walk into? I'm going to say, oh, they know English. It would be very common for people outside Jerusalem to come to Jerusalem and for all of them to know various languages, especially Koine Greek, the common Greek of the time. And they hear all these people speaking in their own native tongue, and instead of saying, oh, wow, they must know my language, it kind of freaks them out. I don't know what I just stepped into, but something weird is going on. So much so that in verse 13, many of them draw the conclusion these folks are just drunk. Clues us in that something else weird is going on because I don't typically, I've never been drunk, but I've been around drunk people and my, usually my estimation of people when they're drunk isn't, wow, they seem so much more intelligent. It's like, ooh, they're, they've lowered their IQ in these moments. Many of them say, well, they've got to be drunk. That's the only way they can explain it. But then what happens in verse 14, Peter stands up, and in explaining what's happening, he preaches the gospel. So if the gift of tongues is a missionary gift so that you can preach the gospel in a language you never learned so that people can hear the gospel, why do they hear preach the gospel only so Peter can get up and preach the gospel? in a language that everybody who was there heard and understood because based on the response of the people what's being declared is not the gospel but the mighty works of god so hold on to that thought acts chapter 10 verses 45 to 47 it says "And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with peter were amazed because the gift of the holy spirit was poured out even on the gentiles For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Notice in the reference to tongue what they're doing. They were speaking in tongues and extolling God. They were speaking in tongues and worshiping God, not preaching the gospel, extolling God. Acts chapter 19, verses 5 through 7. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about twelve men in all. Okay, Now, let's say that all of us here, we, we don't know Jesus when we came in here, and while we're here, we all come to know Jesus, we all receive the Holy Spirit, and we all start speaking in tongues. If the purpose of tongues is a missionary gift to preach the gospel in a language you've never learned, and we've all just responded to the gospel, why would we then now start preaching the gospel to each other? 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Paul indicates here there's two potential types of tongues there's the tongues of men and there's the tongues of angels first corinthians 13 verses 8 through 10 it says love never ends as for prophecies they will pass away as for tongues they will cease as for knowledge it will pass away for we know in part and we prophesy in part but when the perfect comes the partial will pass away so based on paul's words in first corinthians 13 when will the gift of tongues cease to exist Some would say, well, it ceased to exist after the last apostle died. But that's not what Paul's arguing here. He says the gift of tongues will cease when the perfect comes. The perfect is Jesus. When Jesus comes and establishes his kingdom, not only tongues, every spiritual gift will cease to exist because we won't need it anymore anymore. So what Paul's saying in first corinthians 13 is these gifts are going to continue on until jesus comes back first corinthians 14 verse 1 he does say pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy and the word desire there means burn with zeal so before we kind of wrap up uh kind of heading into wrapping up the, this gift of tongues i think here's what paul's saying is earnestly desire spiritual gifts If the gift of tongues sounds like something you want, ask God and see if he'll give it to you. If it sounds weird and you want nothing to do with it, don't ask for it. And I'm sure he won't give it to you. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 29 and 30, it says, Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Now this seems like just a random series of questions, but Paul actually answers the question in the way he asked the question. In the Greek, every one of those questions begins with the Greek word may, and the word may is a negation. In other words, what Paul's really saying, if you phrase it Instead of a question and make it a statement, he's saying, no, all are not apostles, no, all are not prophets, no, all are not teachers, no, all do not work miracles, no, all do not possess gifts of healing, no, all do not speak with tongues, no, all do not interpret. It's not a gift that he's going to give everybody. Just like he doesn't give everybody a gift of teaching, he's not going to give everybody a gift of tongues. There's many churches that say if you don't have the gift of tongues, you don't really have the Holy Spirit, which means you're not even saved. And I've had some loved ones who were sent into a spiritual funk because of that. But Paul says clearly not everyone is going to get all of these gifts. But the question remains, why? Why such a weird gift? If it causes so much confusion and chaos, and it's so weird, why does it exist? I believe Paul answers that in 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2, he says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Wait a minute. If tongues is a missionary gift so that you can preach the gospel to people who speak a language that you never learned, Paul just said when you speak in tongues, you don't talk to men, you talk to God. Hmm. The examples we saw people were extolling god declaring the mighty works of god if you speak in tongues you're talking to god not to men maybe the purpose of tongues isn't a missionary gift so you can declare to people maybe it's a gift that you can express praise to god in prayer first corinthians 14 verse 4 it says the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself now this doesn't make it bad we're going to get to that in a second Every spiritual gift is ultimately to build up the body of Christ. So why is there a spiritual gift that ultimately builds up you in your own prayer life? Well, if your prayer life is built up, you will be more equipped to minister to the body of Christ. But look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 5. Now, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up now again we saw in our original passage that the gift of interpretation is a spiritual gift it's not like okay i'm going to speak in tongues and it's going to be spanish so any spanish speakers can interpret it's a spiritually given ability to interpret what is being said and paul goes on in 1 corinthians 14 verses 14 to 18 and he says for if i pray in a tongue my spirit prays but my mind is unfruitful What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing praise with my mind also. In other words, Paul's saying, I'm going to pray and sing praise in tongues. I'm going to pray and sing praise in normal words that I can understand. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Again, Paul is attributing praying in tongues to praying and giving thanks to God, worshiping God, extolling God. It's primarily a prayer gift of worship. It's not necessarily a missionary gift to preach the gospel, even though that is possible. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 28, it says, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let everyone, let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each one of them keep silent in church, and speak to himself and to God. So, in other words, if there's somebody here who only speaks French, and they don't understand a word I'm saying, and we don't know if they're saved, and so somebody stands up and starts preaching the gospel in French. If tongues is a missionary gift to preach the gospel what paul just says is that here's a potentially lost person and we have somebody who can share the gospel with them but we should tell them to sit down and not do it that doesn't make sense shouldn't the thought be if that person only understands french and we got someone who can speak french because they have a gift of tongues we'll wait tell them the gospel paul says no because it's not a missionary gift it's a prayer gift And what paul's saying is if you're in a public gathering and there's somebody there to interpret okay let tongues be utilized but not the whole congregation at the same time at once let one person do it somebody interpret it a second person let there be an interpreter but if no one's there to interpret everybody just be quiet everyone just keep it to yourself again it's something that's primarily enabling you to more deeply pray and worship to God. And so Paul says, since that's the case, if you feel this compulsion to speak in tongues in a service, and there's nobody there to interpret so that all can hear what you're saying to God, save it for home. Because 1 Corinthians 14, verse 32 says, and the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. As with any spiritual gift, you are always in control. The Holy Spirit's working through you, but you are ultimately in control. I remember one time, I went to a concert, a Christian concert, and I took a friend who was kind of falling away from the Lord. And it was a concert where everybody was invited up front, and everybody was invited to speak in tongues at the same time, and my friend totally freaked out. And on the way out of the concert, I, I was regretting that I brought him because is this only going to make things worse for him? But in this narrow exit, this woman falls on the floor and, and begins crying and, and praying in tongues, and her husband is kind of like the bodyguard. like he's pushing us all away and saying, "No, it, she can't help it. No, everyone stand back." The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prize. She's in control. Move. Let us out. We want to go home. Is it weird? Yeah. Is it something God gives to certain believers to aid their prayer and worship life? Yes. Is it something that should be controlled so it doesn't totally freak people out? Yeah. Is it a gift that's still in effect today? Yeah. But if it freaks you out and you want no part of it, then God's going to give it to you if that's how you feel about it. But if you say, Lord, I think I I want that, ask and see what he'll do. But I've seen so many dear brothers and sisters in Christ that because of their view of tongues, they are described as heretics or not genuine Christians. There's some things we don't understand, but it doesn't mean we vilify it. It means we try to understand. And as best as I can understand, this is what Scripture says about the gift of tongues. If we don't have it and don't understand it, it doesn't mean we have to tell everyone else that they can't have it or use it. it seems to be a gift that God gives people and becomes a powerful tool in their prayer life. And if that is building them up in their prayer life, and they're getting on fire for Jesus because of it, they're going to be a blessing to the whole church. And I do not want to throw cold water on that fire. So hopefully this helps us understand and demystify some of the weird things that accompany the gifts of the Spirit. But next week we're going to talk about, I think, a fitting thing and follow up to this, and that is what is the unity of the Spirit? What does that mean and what does that look like? Let's pray. Lord, you have established some weird gifts. But, Lord, every gift has a purpose, and every gift is beautiful in its function and vital in its function. And I pray, Lord, that maybe there are some here today who they have experienced this in their own prayer life and they've been ashamed of it or afraid to acknowledge it or even afraid to engage in it. Lord, I pray that maybe this would give them freedom to step out and utilize this gift you've given them. Lord, maybe there's some here this morning who have always felt drawn to this gift, but assume that they don't have it. Lord, maybe you've already given it to them, or maybe you want to give it to them. Lord, I pray that they'd feel the freedom to step in to what you have for them. And Lord, maybe there's some here today or listening online, and, and they have been persecuting those who practice. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast based on the work from our book,